So let's think about the business case that we can present and see how we can influence policy and change, not just at grassroots, because I know teachers want to make a difference. Yeah. I know learning support assistants want to do the best for their students, but we have to influence change at a much higher level. Is it not better to teach things like that will aid adaptability, resilience, attitude? Is that not a better way to go? Uh, flexible sort of skills that, that aren't so so sort of steeped in subjects that, that may become obsolete. Hello and welcome to the Changing Lives Through Learning podcast. I'm Matt Jackson. Episode 5 is part 2 of our neurodiversity conversation we had in our last episode. So if you haven't listened to part 1 yet, give it a go now. So today, our guests from episode four have returned to give us their valuable insight into neurodiversity. We have Lucy Smith from Inclusive Change, Richard Lampu from Won't Ever Be Limited, and kicking off with proceedings is Open Awards' very own Richie Phillips, who is going to explain a bit. So my role in Open Awards, uh, I came via the, uh, the side door, as it were, because I was a quality assurance uh, auditor on the uh, on the ISPEC contract for uh, apprenticeships but I but for the last two years I've been working as a product developer so what I basically do is um, look at new and existing qualifications and try and equip them as best I can for their future journeys and as such um, in that role you get um, press ganged into lots of other things um, one of them which is particularly interesting is that um, I was asked to um, do a briefing on on future skills and what that might look like for open awards and this area is particularly interesting not only in as much as the breadth of subject but also in terms of the right the, well, the very specific challenges that that it face i'll talk about it a bit more later but as we're in an introductory mode i will abort at that point okay thanks richie um richard yeah hello well i'm richard lamplow i've worked with young neurodivergent people and young people with learning disabilities for about 30 years mostly in a community setting um, but often going into schools and colleges, which is what I did very much pre-COVID. Uh, since COVID, I've been working from my home office here, developing my employment passport, which I'm pleased to say won the uh, post-16 CDI Career Programme of the Year last year. And it's based on videos, many of which star young neurodivergent people that I, I've known some of them for oh, 20 years or so. It's really lovely that quite a few we keep in touch. And many of these young people, I was part of the team that supported them into work. So their stories are is, is the essential core element of my employment passport. And the reason why I've got this folder here and this book here, and then packs of resources like um, these cards. So this one 
that happens to be on the top says being neurodivergent and there's a kind of user-friendly description on the back and if I just randomly pick these right in the middle being reliable so there are like 56 or 60 of these cards anyway so the idea is is that schools colleges the voluntary sector parents uh, parents groups because we I get it totally that for many young people especially young neurodivergent people school is just an uncomfortable place that doesn't mean they can't become excellent employees in the future so yeah that's um that's a little about me and my background and what i do and uh, very happy to take part in the conversation today excellent so if, if people wanted to have a look at those um uh, resources or anything have you got a website or anything yeah so myemploymentpassport.com is is the main website it's it's fairly basic at the moment um and then if, when people get in touch with me, I often send them a little PDF of uh, the various offers I have. Um, I, I, and I'm currently finishing, actually. So um, uh, hopefully by September, everything will be completely finished. And then I can start publicizing a bit more. That's why I've been very quiet for the last six to nine months, just desperately trying to get everything finished. Yes, of course, of course. Quick question, if I may, Richard. Yeah. Sorry to cut across. I know Lucy has no problem. Introduce yourself. <laughs> but is is the scope of what you do limited by you, you, you know your own personal capacity and wherewithal, or, or is or is it something that you can foresee being applied in a much wider context? Well, it's it, it's limited in that it's only me doing it. Right. Uh, I, have, I have a very small. Well, I, I mean, I've got lots of professional colleagues over the years who I'll occasionally phone for a bit of advice or we, we have a chat, and some of them are partners actually investing in the program, for example, down here in Kent, where I live and work. Um, but it, I'm really excited because I, I feel it, it, it sort of can go national. Any, you know, any parent will, will, will I'm sure, grasp, my concept yeah. built on what I call these paid job foundation blocks, and they are, there are 10 of them, and one of the biggest, oh, they're all huge, but one of the big ones is communication. But but that's it. It's, it's communication. I'm not, you know, it's, it's often, and, and it's how we all communicate differently, and that's fine. And And part of that, again, which is something that, maybe other support programs don't look at but i believe that communication for young neurodivergent people it's it's fine to say this is like this is how i like to communicate but the other half of that the other side of that coin is this is how i like others to communicate with me <laughs> so we're and i think employers have have a um have a, 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 a you know responsibility to do that thanks yeah no, I agree with you I, I think it's got loads of it's got loads of legs I hope so <laughs> is that somebody's ring doorbell yeah yeah can I it's my can I rush downstairs yes and go, I'll be back in two seconds <laughs> oh Matt you're gonna have so much editing to do no it's fine it's no problem <laughs> I've got a clever little um, 
uh, editing tool called Descript. And you I knew you were going to say Descript. You can, you can do it via the text, so it's a lot more, a lot less stressful than trying yeah. to do it up by audio. It is quite good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh, crazy. Well, as soon as Richard comes back, we'll let you talk and you can fire yeah, away, no, Lucy. So, yeah. uh, um, and, and probably add to that with the, with the aura, your background. Those transcripts are a bit wild, aren't they? You know, I, I tried to read back, but there was all sorts of like grenades in there, sort of like words that, that I didn't say and I don't think anybody else said. No. <laughs> Okay. Right, no problem. Okay, we'll I got him. start again. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, over to Lucy. Um, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself? Yes, hello. My name's Lucy Smith, and I am the founder of um, two organisations with similar names. One is Inclusive Change Limited. Um, it's a training and consultancy organisation, and I support, um, I say HR and change managers, but actually... I support anybody in an organization who wants to know more about neurodiversity so that we can achieve greater success in the workplace. And through that, I do lots of various things like training, um, online training. I have a free course, How to Champion Neurodiversity in the Workplace. But I work with people who range from school leavers through to um, professionals, uh, senior executives, um, people who work in higher education in both professional services and as academics who are neurodivergent. And quite often I work with late diagnosed neurodivergent um, adults who sometimes you've got to need, you, you kind of need a bit of help in making sense of the world that you've lived in up until now, not knowing who you are. And now somebody's put this light bulb on and said, oh, by the way, you've got ADHD. Oh, have I? And it just makes so many things make sense for you. So that's some of the work or some of the people that I work with. Um, my The other part of the organisation that I run is one called Inclusive Change at Work, a community interest company. And that one is very much aligned to, to Richard's work, actually, in that I tend to work there with... Um, school leavers, young people who want to get into employment, but find it difficult in different ways. And some of those reasons might be because going to an interview is just so very, very difficult or filling out an application form. The questions are just too vague for you, or you've never thought that you could do this yourself before. But actually, um, we've met and worked with lots of young people who are incredibly intelligent, incredibly start master's graduates, for instance, who have found out who they are, found out what their strengths are, and are able to move on to, to career success, or, or at least knowing what they'd like to do in life, rather than just thinking, I can't possibly do that because I am whatever. That was a long introduction to what I do there. <laughs> but yes, sorry. Not, not a problem. <laughs> no, no, I think that, that's great. Um, I, I think it just it proves that we've got such a, a vast of knowledge uh, on the call, so uh, an experience, so that's fantastic. Um, so, um, obviously, with your backgrounds, I suppose the, the best question I could probably um, give to you now is really, what are the challenges that people with neurodiverse individuals face sort of in education? Because you've just mentioned a little bit about workplace and application forms. 
let's just take that back a little bit to, to education first of all what what do you think the challenges are there and and it's, maybe this might benefit you uh, Richie as well with your that, that having to look at that as well absolutely I mean I think personally it's the norms that are imposed upon them by a, a an archaic education system but uh, yeah that's all I'll say I'd rather hear what Lucy and Richard had to say <laughs> Are we allowed to say things like that? I'm, I'm, yeah. But I think, I would agree. I think absolutely free speech. You know, <laughs> I, it's just something I, I feel that. See, education starts at well, what age? Five? Is it four, five? Um, even earlier. Um, and this, this, this just seems a kind of obvious statement from me in that when somebody is like 19 and they understand a little bit more about their neurodivergence which is going to be totally individual compared to yeah. the person on their right or the person on their left and they understand more about it and how they learn best that's obviously that, and, and then I don't know about to start university or about to start job a job or something like that. It's a totally is it not a totally different ball game to the young person at four or five or six who who doesn't understand because they're they're young and there might there might be a diagnosis there might not. So so at that point we're totally. Um, under the auspices of what the system can do or can't do for us. So there is the is the is that starting point having to be that teachers and educators, you know, understand as much as possible about the broad divergence in their room and the various tools and strategies they will have to let the talent shine through and I can only guess because I'm not educated educating young people that that if 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 you do get frustrated by words and numbers and being in a classroom and this that and the other are there not better ways to to show your learning to show your creativity than what the system currently offers what do you think, Lucy? I I have a lot to say here, so buckle up. Here we go. <laughs> Is this from a parental point of view as well, both. or both? Parental and, and and professional. So, okay. In terms, so I could sit, I can sit here and I can list off plenty of challenges. Okay, so there are lots of challenges that neurodivergent young people, children, and teenagers will face in the classroom, for instance, and in education. Um, and I'd been a trainer in um, autism uh, support for nearly six years now, and um, lots of those challenges might come in, and I'll be very generalistic here, sensory processing issues, okay? So when a child or an adult even, but let's, let's talk about children, when a child has sensory processing difficulties, it means that being in an environment like a school classroom can be very challenging and very difficult, but actually... Unless a parent, a teacher or a child has been told that these are the reasons that you're struggling with anxiety and then reacting in a way to that anxiety or to that external input, 
unless you've been told about it, you don't actually know why you are struggling. You don't know why you don't like being in a classroom with lots of other children because the noise that is created causes you pain because you don't realize, especially when you're little, that you're different to other people because you think everybody's experiencing this. And so when the teacher says, oh, don't be worried about that or don't don't complain about that, everybody has to put up with it. You don't realize that you're experiencing it at a much more extreme level. So that's just an example of sensory processing, for instance. And if you are struggling with sensory processing challenges, you are bound to be anxious about those activities in the classroom, in the environment, etc., etc. When you are anxious, you will have a reaction. And that reaction generally falls into fight, flight, freeze or fawn. There are other Fs. Um, <laughs> don't quote me on them, but there are other Fs. But let's let's think about fight, flight, freeze or fawn. So as an educator, you might see somebody experiencing challenges, but their behavior that comes out is to fight. So they might get verbal. They might get aggressive. They might they might kick off and throw a table or throw throw something around the room. That's because they are reacting and their behavior is trying to communicate something to you. Can you see where I'm going with this? Yeah. If you have the fight the freeze or the flight let me go to flight next one that's when you might have a runner in your classroom so that might be when you see a child walking out of the classroom or running out of the classroom or sitting on top of the um on top of the roof because actually that's the calmest place to be right there and there yeah or then you have freeze where a child or a learner in your environment is just frozen doesn't know what else to do doesn't know how to react to change in a circumstance or, or whatever and they freeze. These are some of the challenges that you might find in education and in the school setting. And teachers are really, really pressed to be able to meet the needs of every single child in their classroom. Really, really pressed. It's very, very difficult. And so as a result, we're seeing more and more children who and their parents who are opting out of mainstream education. We're seeing more and more children into elective home education. We're seeing more and more parents feel that actually the school system and mainstream settings are not right for my kids anymore, not right for my children. And so those are some of the challenges that you will see. I, I'm going to take a breath, but I can talk more. And I, I wanted to, to, to just touch on something that maybe Richard and Richie and Matt, you might have had experience with around the medical model and the social models of disability. Yeah, but on your on that, those four Fs, Yes. Are teachers just tell me as the as the layperson here, are they are they given? Surely they are given training so. in that for half a day or a day so. or so. I really no. don't think so. I think I I I really don't don't think so. I've worked with occupational therapists myself and um I go out and I talk about this quite a lot. I talk about that that those reactions and what you might see. And whilst whilst Many teachers might be cognizant of it and might go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't, not everybody sees it and can apply it mm. to their own setting and recognize what to do with it in those situations. If you're a SENCO or you're a learning support assistant, you may very well be very aware of the, the zones, you know, the color zones, the yellow mm. and the red and the green and the blue, uh, which are very much aligned to, to that thinking, um, kind of linked to something called polyvagal theory. Um, but also zones of regulation for, for younger children. Um, but I, I 
I think okay. there is still a space and yeah. certainly I think parents can be helped by providing that that knowledge and information about how we react as individuals as human beings to stresses and anxieties and fears and that is what's happening with our neurodivergent kids in 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 schools and in education they're reacting to that and, and i also think to add to that it, as they uh, grow up and go into sort of um that puberty stage which is a very difficult stage for any uh, teenager yep. there is some level of where some of those sensory issues might have uh, manifested in different ways to something else so it could have changed but what you find is that the behavior of that child stays the same as it was when they had that issue when they were younger so as they haven't been learned to deal with it and know what the right way to deal with it there's some unpicking that happens with um lots of children who have maybe been in primary school and they've had some very nurturing supportive uh, primary yeah. school with the same teacher but when they go into secondary there's that there's a fallout there where they, they, they suddenly react how they've always react and they and that sort of that seems to be sort of a, a, a an impression that people get of those sorts of uh, children that they that they're always going to either fly off the handle or they're going to run out of the class and they, they get a reputation yeah. And, and so it becomes self-fulfilling. Self, yes, self-fulfilling, yeah. and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that that that's that's how they learn to deal with it. When in actual fact, there needs to be some way of, of intervention to seek, find out what that reason is, and then what strategy can be implied. And sometimes, what I think's hard in a in a, a mainstream setting is to have the innovation and the uh, tenacity to actually say, let's try this with this one person because of the backlash that they think the other class is going to, to exactly. come forward with. And and I think that the, the issue is, um, uh, you know, it, it, I, th I think that this is the this is the problem that it almost looks like, I suppose, a, a different treatment of people, a special treatment. And, and that's where there's a, 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 an issue where mainstream teachers find it quite difficult because they, they there to, to command the class but, yeah. and they're bounded by those things and so therefore there needs to be something else that needs to probably change where you know the the, the conversation is um, a community-based conversation with the class possibly where the uh, depending on the age range obviously but you know why is somebody behaving in a certain way and what can we do to help and why you know why you know have a bit of sort of almost like um a restorative justice thing can happen so if somebody did fly off the handle and they said well i didn't like this happening then we have to look at how we can work together as a class but it's very difficult because of the amount of children that are in that setting in a, in it a, a secondary school it is extremely difficult i'm going to throw another theory into there and another phrase maslow before bloom okay ah, okay so think about maslow's hierarchy of needs where you've got your pyramid and the bottom level of the pyramid that feeling of safety that feeling of I have my needs met, many neurodivergent young people and children do not have their basic needs met. They do not feel safe in some environments. And as a result, then you'll see behaviors. And so if we're trying to get a, a child to engage, to process information, they may not be able to do that if if they haven't met, you know, yeah. that that those those yeah. the bottom rungs of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You can't move on to Bloom and start thinking about you know how how they're analyzing or whatever because we need to think about those basic physiological and psychological needs that need to be met 
So with that, how, how do you think some of those challenges could be met? Could that be sort of, um, you know, in the primary phase that, you know, work, it's very hard because it depends when some of the um, challenges start to display. So is it once somebody starts to display some, some level of challenges, is that where intervention needs to happen to maybe support that ch child with those interventions and try and develop a sense of self like in a, like a program to develop a sense of self do you think that might be it, it, an answer? it's it's almost more than that because it, it, you're right but but we it comes back to the same old cliche who pays um at a time when you know schools are looking at potential class sizes of 60 you know, at a time that staff absences and resignations are off the scale you know at a time that schools are dilapidated there's a big report out this morning about asbestos in schools we've got other schools where you've got ingressions of, of sewage it's like a dystopia in which we're seeking yes. shafts of light and uh, even you know modest even the modest guidelines that were set up by the national autistic society still cost money they're saying look for a, a quiet area where are you going to find a quiet area in a classroom of 40 plus kids you know make sure everybody's got pencil grips make sure everybody's got phonetic dictionaries my my worry is with the best will in the world if i can make a magic one and put uh, and put it right then we all would there aren't enough Lucy's and richards in the world there's not enough maths in the world but you know practically do we have the wherewithal you know the fiscal wherewithal to to, to sort this out i'm not suggesting we give up but I think what we might need to do is change the entire way that we view education, change the narrative, move away from drilling down to specific subjects to the point of which they're going to pass a GCE, uh, GCSE. But mm -hmm. I, I think it needs to be more about individual mm -hmm. specialisms. And it's going to be very tricky to, to affect this complete sea change that, that I think is probably needed so that everybody benefits. Because at the moment, it only benefits, you know, a small percentile of people. Mm -hmm. I think there's a whole other range of things as well. Sorry, sorry, Richard. Sure. Um, around intersectionality, around the socio-economic issues that we're facing, around the cost of living crisis for families, around social media, around digital and online creep of of information, and and the way in which we we are are seeing families now grow up and only on this weekend i was having a conversation about kind of along these lines with with a colleague around how nurture and how permission based and consent um uh learning needs to come into the the school environments and we are seeing children at two years old go to nursery who are digital natives who are using smartphones all the time, whose, kid, whose parents are, because we weren't, as families, traditionally, the 40-hour working week was based on one person working and one person at home being the homemaker, generally the, the, the woman. Our society has changed completely since that, that traditional being, and so we're still um, creating an educational system that is kind of working on industrial revolution you know exactly. making th that kind of stuff but we've got two-year-olds going into nursery who in 18 years time are going to be in the workplace and their experiences of a education but also life family life 
socioeconomic, digital, all that kind of stuff is going to make and shape them to the people that they are. It's we need to think differently because we are in a different, different. Um, we're in a revolution ourselves right now. Yeah, I think I, I think I agree with you. What what, what do you think, Richard? Uh, yeah. Loyalty, well, again, and I'm just thinking about when I was in schools and colleges and young man in particular. We we got on so well because we both loved David Bowie. But one thing he would do, his his flight was going to sit on on the windowsill. He just couldn't stay at his at his workstation. And he was still kind of engaging, but it was fine. I'd yeah. just say, yeah, that's okay. And, and I'd wave at him on the windowsill, and that would be fine. But I, I'm yeah, in a perfect world, which, of course, we don't have. And, again, because I, I always put on these rose-tinted spectacles. But if I was a head teacher, uh, I would I'm surely, surely spend a, a quality hour with the parents or parent or whoever the principal carer is, who after all knows that young person so well, like, um, you know, Lucy's experience of her children knowing, and as Lucy says, what, where they feel safe, where the, the Maslow thing is, is at the bottom there. And as a head, I'd say, well, oh, I see. So, so I, I, but then I'd probably have quite a few parents who would say, yes, sensory is huge for them. So if it's a, it's a noisy classroom and then, so surely then I'd have some, some starting points, some foundations to provide the learning environment for those young people who, who have some additional learning needs. But I get it that the, the head teacher will say to me, well, you're in cloud cuckoo land. I haven't got time yep. to speak to a parent. Traditionally, yeah, tradition, you're right, Richard. It takes too long because my son is, is, is on the spectrum and I had some issues with him regarding isolation and separation from the rest of the class and that in, in his uh, years 10 and 11. And, it, you know, I went through two years of going in to see you know, the head of year, nothing changed. And I, yeah. I know that hopefully it speeds up in, in time as people become more used to concepts and, and how, to, yeah. how to deal with it. But, you know, certainly as, as far, in 2016, it, we weren't getting anywhere. By the time something was being done, he was out of school. He was done. Yeah. But, but maybe, maybe there is um, uh, something that, you know, uh, when, when, when someone's uh, sort of en enrolled into nursery and into uh, primary school, and as they as as they transition, maybe there needs to be the same sort of almost ve very concise but questionnaire that maybe surrounds yeah. some of that sensory issues that everybody has, so they know what because because some people are not necessarily just neurodivergent who have a sensory issue, um, and I think that that that's that's the point really that some of these things are not exclusive to neurodivergent individuals and um, I, mean, I remember um, uh, my sister who's not neurodivergent would would hate the smell of um, those uh, humps that you have you know that they used to use in primary school the black uh, pumps, oh, the, the rubber salt yeah we call them yeah. gats down south uh, <laughs> yeah that's right yeah. we call them gats uh, and uh, so uh, though, though, you know, there's some 
little, little things like that, and that'd be a, a challenge just because, and it, and it was just, or they didn't like the feel of something. So there's, mm. there is other things that happen at, at those ages that we need to recognise, um, that some of these things actually um, are, are across uh, a school community. There, there are. There are, and, and it's and not, and it's is... not to say that, 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 that there's always going to be the same reactions and the same responses, no. and and that and that's the point really that this is where we need to acknowledge that some of these, th and I think what's happened is that because there has been people with those responses and they don't seem to have any other additional needs, it's just an issue with I don't know the trainers or, or whatever it is that we've got this assumption that well they can manage uh, in that environment even though they don't like it so everybody else can manage and in actual fact it's, that's the thinking that's got to be flipped do we need to turn it around to well hang on what if you know there's other people out there that will, will struggle with those so what are the strategies how can we yeah. look at dealing with that yeah um, no, I was going to say and if you see I've always felt the biggest the, 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 the greatest talent young people or any of us have in terms of getting a job is actually our work ethic. How we learn and stuff, well, that, you know, you can, you can sort of find a way. If there's a work ethic, then with the best will in the world, and again, it's like this educational window, it's what? Uh, if we look at the, the, the period from about the age of about 11 to, I don't know, 17 or something, those, those crucial six years, and yet in the overall lifespan of somebody, like six years is, is tiny. And yet we're building up so much about, oh, and you've got to get this qualification, you've got to come to class yeah. this time, and you've got to do this, and this is when we have our break, and then you've got to go to the science block, and, and the kids go, ah. And I'm just thinking, oh, please, look, yeah. if, there's a, if there's a bit of a work ethic there, how we actually, and we can develop that, and and if 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 we then getting to the stage of a, a work ethic of not to get offers of paid jobs down the line, that's surely the biggest reason why we educate people is to give them education, but in order so they can get paid jobs and become yes. part of society. I agree. What what's happening, I think, is it, it's currently convention based and not strengths based. And, and the other thing as well is, um, I think further down is the issues of play. Why does some play suddenly stop um, uh, at a certain, you know, in, in primary? That should still be happening, and it should it should be decreased as they go up through the system. But there should be a level of play and downtime, or yeah. or hobby, or something else that's to do with that mental health, um, picking up hobbies or picking up other things that are around that are attached to. Uh, being a human being and how to regulate yourself uh, because those are the things that you sort of pull on when you get into a job what what did I do to relax what did I do to yeah. and it's, it's those sorts of things those sort of, the, and it's that's all part of getting to know yourself well you know I don't feel that um, in school I ever got the opportunity to try some things because I have what didn't have the uh, my parents didn't have the money or there was other things that happened in um, uh, that I didn't get those opportunities, and and it could be that that might be something that might have been really good to uh, support me with either the, that uh, relaxation or mental health. So, for example, I'm just thinking um, pottery was one of the things that I never got the opportunity to do in school, 
Um, and and since I've got older, I'm, I'm obsessed with Pottery Throwdown, because, probably because I missed out on that. And I'm always looking to think, well, where could I go and, and, and actually do that? But if there was opportunities to actually have those other things that are, are out there that we could people could try, it's about trying and not knowing what you like as much as about what knowing what you do like. And I think um, that's where it, it, it's like not knowing... Like know what you're good at and know yeah. what you need to develop. It's the same things. It's those. It, it's 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 having that sense of self that I think is really important, rather than oh, so and so can do algebra, um, yeah. and they can do algebra really really well, but they can't do something else. And, and I think that's my sort of feel on that. I think Richard, you you probably will align with this. I've got a really good example of what you just said. So um, I do. I work with a, a local school. Who, which are an autism-based school, okay? And they have a small cohort, and they have year 10s, years 11s, and they came to me and said, can, we, can you help us get some work experience for seven of our students who will, will come and do something? Now, part of what I do, I, I have a shop, and that shop is in a retirement village, which is a wonderful environment, which is, um, it's got a bistro and a gym and a library and the shop and lots of other things that they can do. So we set up work experience with these young people. And the manager of the, the retirement village is, has been talking to me and said, this is incredible. And he's telling me some of those experiences that have happened, that a young person will come in and they'll go, I like this and this. This is what I like to do. But then they've introduced them to another activity, say, for instance, working in the gym. And they just adored it. And they never, ever thought that they could have a career in sport or in the gym. Yeah. But they loved it. And so finding out something different and working outside yeah. of their, their yeah. oh, this is the only thing I like, has given them that opportunity to think differently about how they could add value in a workplace yeah. and in a community. And I, I suppose if you come back to um, uh, the, the triad of impairment, that's that flexibility of thought scenario, um, trying to push the flexibility of thought. But the, I, I do think that sometimes there's people who who either are not diagnosed or, or, or um, not neurodivergent, who still have those challenges of stepping out and trying something new. And yeah, we don't that, know what we don't know. We don't know, know what we ways. don't know. And I think, and I think mm -hmm. that's, the, that's the question that, that we maybe should be, we, this is where we're looking at the wrong things. We need to be looking at yeah. how we develop people as individuals. Exactly. And their journey mm -hmm. is, is very important. And yes, there's got to be some level of, uh, academia within that there's got to be some yeah. level of progression into careers and things like that I'm not I'm not saying that those things should be taken away but maybe there just needs to be different ways of that being yeah. done and and whilst we have the system which I can't ever see changing that is just totally you know it's offset offstead says this offset says that the schools have hit, got to hit all their various boxes da 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 and you know and a judged on what how many qualifications yeah, their young people get and how many go on to university you know where is the box that says we turned out x amount of healthy rounded happy individuals <laughs> who went on to went to do well in life there isn't a box that says that and, it, and it's 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 yeah just wrong isn't it and and how many students are damaged by the boxes being ticked <sighs> So my answer, uh, and I, I, I kind of disagree that it won't change, because my answer is, well, actually, we need to influence policy, and we need to influence 
Ofsted and we need to go and take our training to Ofsted and we need to have conversations with the people who can influence change where at all possible and demonstrate to them that a return on the investment is that actually we can be saving money in mental health services. Yeah, yeah. We can be saving money from child and adolescent mental health services. Yeah. We can be saving money in schools and we can be saving money in adult mental health services and criminal justice services. In fact, yeah, in, yeah. in, in London, uh, City of London Police, they have started a, a um, pilot where they will be referring young um, attendees to their custody suite they'll be referring them for ADHD diagnosis because a high percentage of young men in particular who are in the criminal justice system are autistic or ADHD, most likely ADHD and dyslexic. So mm. many of them are neurodivergent. So let's think about the business case that we can present and see how we can influence policy and change, not just at grassroots, because I know teachers want to make a difference. Yeah. I know learning support assistants want to do the best for their students but we have to influence change at a much higher level mm -hmm. see I, I think there's got to be a balance between the two systems as well i think you've still got to have some level of you know your, your english and your maths are your your very important subjects that give you access to um things uh and i think that, that, that there's too many people still coming out of school who haven't got uh, a good enough grasp of English and maths and and I don't think that's necessarily uh, a failing to do with the teaching or anything else that's going on I just think that the system's crammed with too much content that they're not able to develop that and there's not the headspace to develop those those core skills and if they're the, they're the, the skills that need to, to access other things what why are we why aren't we using um, that they're, they're, they're basically our curriculum for um, primary and secondary with other additional things that could go around that um, whether it's um, recreational whether it's forest schools with all these other different things that you can have um, there is a way that, that, that we could still have that focus on that English and maths and still have that and still have schools uh, still got that level of well how well of a school done in that performance that could still just be on English and maths why is it on why are we trying to assess everything at that age range why aren't we just making sure that they've got that that foundation so they can go on and access other areas once they leave school isn't that what a secondary education was supposed to be about it seems to have gone into this big thing of let's see how many um uh, gcse's somebody can achieve um and, and then they, then move them on into to college and then they're just left you know the college then deals with it and it's like there isn't that thought of that, that step process right way through. So I think the transition of moving through primary to secondary and the issue of GCSEs is sort of the bit that we, we that are focused on too much. It's that what the school achieving when they get to that certain level. Surely, um, you know, if, if there was creative ways of doing this and monitoring uh, learners, then primary schools can get feedback in five years time when that other child leaves that other school on how how they coped once they've got into and, and that there should be some that level different ways of measuring um that that support um that that's sort of my view i mean there's some other things that go around that but surely if we've got if we start thinking about that on what we want our young people to do and what we want them to be like then 
we've got uh, and what we want them to be able to do once they get into the workplace, we've got an idea of how we try to build that. Obviously, the workplace is going to change in another 10 years, in another 20 years' time. So we can't focus on the same things we've got now yeah. because that's not going to apply. Mm -hmm. So it's about trying to bring out those those humans, that human side of getting to know yourself and so that you are ready as a human being to face those new challenges that will come up. And I think that we've got to remember that those new challenges won't just come up in 20 or 20 years' time. That will be in the education system. But remember, they're going to be in work for 40, 50 years, and they're going to have those challenges in that 40 and 50 years over and over again. So how can we bring that? It's a developing something that brings that out. Um, it, that, that's what I feel anyway. What, what would you suggest? Uh, say yeah, I agree. See, uh, uh, Richie. I think that an insistence on subjects has been is been made to look increasingly ridiculous when we don't know what the what the jobs are going to be in in twenty five years time. Even people experts in the industries don't know. Is it not better to teach things like that will aid adaptability, resilience, attitude? Is that not a better way to go? Uh, flexible sort of skills that that aren't so so sort of steeped in subjects that that may become sort of what sort of obsolete mm -hmm. i don't know it's only a, it's only I, I suppose the, the the thing would be to look at the curriculum and and see where there is priorities within that curriculum that might be you know it, it could be certain niche areas isn't it really if you've got somebody who's really scientific then if you take science off the curriculum that's going to affect them if you've, got, yeah. uh, if, you've, if, if you've got somebody who loves, uh, who, who absolutely hates science, you know, that that has an effect on them with the, all the things that they're doing. They dread going to those lessons. My son absolutely hated science. Um, he, he only liked physics a little bit because it was maths. There was a maths element to it, and he liked maths. So that was his only way in. But the other side of science, he did, didn't like that. And, mm. and maybe there's got to be some le level of once they, you know, I'm not saying options, but uh, as in options in going towards options for a qualification. But if there's subjects where you there's a natural lean to a natural talent or things, then those are, why aren't we embracing that? The, that's how we differentiate our uh, classrooms by the, that interest. And um, why aren't we looking at um, you know in a in a secondary school environment, for example, they they could be. Um, working across year groups it doesn't have to be in the same year group they could be working across year seven year eight year nine if they've got that interest and, the, and they're in that that you might get more uh, different thinking because um within that group because they're at different levels in their own development and that might actually uh, empower uh learners i know in my son's school they did their pshce curriculum was based on just collapsing the timetable for one day they would do themes throughout the whole day, but they wouldn't always be sat in a year seven or a year eight class. They would mix the classes, age grades up, so there'd be a couple from each year group to give it more of a, a breadth of uh, opinions and that you will have different opinions as children get older to try and bring a bit more creativity into those conversations. So if things, there's already some good things that go on, it's about trying to expand on, on those and trying to, to, to try and look at where we're going really i think i think to me I, I don't understand why we you know we've got children who go into education 
and it could be as early as uh, two, one and two. They're, they're in nurseries very early, and they go into a classroom environment very early on. And they're still in that classroom environment right up to 18, yet we still put a load of GCSEs in qualifications in when they're still going to be in a classroom situation after that. It seems like why are we, why are we setting in that middle? I know that was there to, at one point to, um, uh, because people weren't staying until they were 18, but now we have this um, extended the, the uh, level of education till 18. That seems to be a sticking point that has never been changed. And I think that's what's causing us some problems with the way our school system is worked at secondary level. I think um, one of the things to come back to around skills and around preparing our neurodivergent and also any young person for the workplace is, is understanding those skills that employers want and need that as Richie said the jobs that we see today when I was leaving school, and I'm, I'm, I know I'm much older than you think, I left school in 1988, I think I went to sixth form, uh, sorry, 1987, went to sixth form till 89, okay? You make and me feel very old now. There we go, okay. <laughs> um, but I never thought that there would be, I never had any inclination of the jobs we have today, right? Today, and even 2023, you have got jobs being advertised now like an AI prompt um, manager. Yeah. Somebody who uses AI and puts the right prompts and information in there to create inf like data, information, language, etc., etc. These jobs weren't even thought about back then. Yeah. You wouldn't have even, ha even had a mobile phone app developer in your seed of imagination back then. So what's going to happen in, in 10, 20 years time? employers are going to want to develop are going to want to solve the problems for this for, for this globe for this planet climate change um don't even get me started on all the other stuff going on around global insecurity and instability and all of those kind of things so but we don't necessarily need to be thinking about what are the lessons and the the the, the topics that we need to teach we need a lot more around creativity critical uh, Critical thinking, um, analysis, communication skills, resilience, growth mindset. Although if I mention that word to my own children, they just look at me and roll their eyes and go, don't tell me about growth mindset again, mum. I don't really want to know about that. Um, and this isn't just for the neurodivergent children. This is for everybody. Everybody needs to be thinking about these kind of things. So... Um... Do you think um, does that sort of hit with the, the the equality and social justice thing that this is where we need to, this this neurodiversity neurodivergent sort of uh, element that's sort of that medical model on the fringe of everything that's the bit that needs to change that it's to do with everybody. I do think so. I I think so. So if and I just hard, reflect on yeah, it's a hard thing to to, to do, isn't it? Very hard because, it, I mean, if I concentrate on autism, because that's an area that I, I talk about most, but you can look at this in terms of ADHD, dyslexia um, and, and other other conditions. But if you look at the history and the way in which we have um, we we have been sold and told the narrative of what autism means, you know, historically, his, autism has always been around. OK, mm. um, but in the 1940s, that was when they started to go, oh, 
oh, this is what we're going to call it. This is what we're going to say. And in fact, the first person to be diagnosed as autistic um, sadly passed away at 89 very recently. So very interesting. Leo Kanner was the person that that um, gave him the diagnosis. Look up Leo Kanner, worth looking at. Um, uh, but our history, we have always looked at autism, for instance, in the medical model of diagnosis, okay, um, and the medical model of disability. So we've looked at it, and in schools and educational establishments, an EHCP, an educational health and care plan, will be about providing social skills training for that young person, or that person will be able to do this by this point, and it will be about making them conform to the norms, conform to what will make it easier to, to teach within the group or or to assimilate. And actually, sometimes we need to look at things in another light and look at the social model of disability and say, what barriers are we putting in place for these kids? How can we reduce those barriers? And if we reduce those barriers for those kids, hey, we might do it for everyone else too. And everybody else gets a better ride along the way. And we improve mental health and we improve group work and we improve relationships. All of those things might might come out of, of things by just flipping that lens and saying, okay, what about our environment? What about our attitudes? What about our policies and processes and procedures and systems? Can we adapt to them? Can we look at what barriers there are in terms of neurodivergent thinkers, staff? And believe me, there's a lot of neurodivergent staff in education. We hear you. We see you. We know you're there. All right. And I'll just say one more thing on that point. I'm sorry because I've really gone off on one this time. One more thing. This generation, the generation we're in now is the first generation where we've got neurodivergent adults who are advocating and passionate and championing neurodiversity in education and in the workplace. And that will bring benefits and change for the next generation. And I'll stop there. You see, I thought, again, rose-tinted spectacles, I thought as a society, the social model of disability is what we're, we're adhering to and what, I mean, after all, employers, they're advised, quite rightly, to, and many of them think this way, is we make reasonable adjustments. We, mm -hmm. don't, we don't try and change you, candidate. We don't, we don't try and tell you to make more eye contact yes. yeah to, to make more eye contact and to come to the staff social every friday night mm. we do, we make peaceful mm. adjustments we say it's absolutely fine mm. if you can do <laughs> and we, but because we because we value your skills and your qualities and we we believe in an inclusive workforce and and the the, the i can find you the, case law that will tell you otherwise richard Oh, yes, I'm, yes, of course, of course. Um, so, uh, and sometimes, and again, I, this is quite rare, but I've known employers who I, you know, a young person, I've, I've introduced them to them and the person joins them and gets on their payroll. And, and, and the employers actually come back to me sometime later and say, do you know what, we actually we actually run by stuff with Edward or with Alice because because we're valuing it from from seeing it from their their side mm -hmm. you know getting their opinions and of course the very sussed employers can think ka-chang ka-chang you know they're selling stuff <laughs> so 
<sighs> oh, it brings it brings immense benefits to the workplace. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. It's I'd say it's in education that we see it slightly differently. That that children yeah. need to be supported, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I think I think if we're talking about children and young people, a holistic approach where we're supporting families, because hmm, let's just say genetically. Uh, if you've got an autistic or you've got a neurodivergent child, you're probably going to find something in the in the family tree. Yeah. Um, and so supporting families, supporting teachers, supporting young people themselves to to understand what this is all about and how it will impact them and will make a that, difference. And that sometimes that you know the, the, sometimes parents are on the same journey as the child because they get the yeah. diagnosis switched at the same time as the child. Yep. And they will have had a, a lifetime, if you think of your iceberg, okay, I'll come back to lots of theories, but your iceberg where you can see the tip of the iceberg and you see what's going on, what's going on beneath, that parent will have had a lifetime of unmet needs, of um, difficulties themselves in education, and then seeing it replicated with their own children and feeling helpless in, in being able to change that. There are many things that we need to be cognizant of and need to be aware of and it's not just because parents are being difficult yeah okay right i think we're going to have to leave it there <laughs> we could probably talk for hours and hours and hours but we haven't unfortunately we've not got time to do that so i suppose the last thing really would be um any top three tips or advice um either for individuals um, or people who interact with um neurodivergent uh, uh, individuals what what would your three top tips be um i don't know who would like to go first I'll richard go first. or oh, richie okay no richie go first yeah yeah we are all different degrees of the same um look beyond your labels and extract but don't enforce hmm. okay mine would be start conversations you can make a difference and don't give up excellent and richard would you like the final word well i guess mine would be and again if we're referring to a to in terms of our age group that we are talking mainly about young people we have been mostly is my first thing is to say what i said 20 minutes ago that that those five or six years which which were so stressful for so many people for so many reasons neurodivergent or not in the bigger scheme of things is a tiny is a tiny window and the second thing would be that the jobs so many of us have including probably all of us we did not know were were even around at school <laughs> I, I every I, there's this line in one of my videos where I say, for every one job we think we know about in one particular sector, there will be another 99. We just haven't a clue that they're there. They they can't tell you that at careers fairs and at schools. You find out when you get this job somewhere. So that's the, the, the thing to think of it like it. It's a it's a big open it's a big open book. Don't be uh, put off by, like, the perceived chapter list at the beginning of the book, because it, it only says the, the names of the chapters. It doesn't, it doesn't tell you what's, what's coming in the story. That is life.
would like to comment or continue the conversation, search at Open Awards on Instagram, LinkedIn or Twitter. Thanks for listening. Join us next time for more educational topics and stories on changing lives through learning.